back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan Maple Leafs back in action. Game four tonight, 7.30 puck drop. You got the Chicago White Sox in town for a little series against the Blue Jays. 7.07 first pitch, Chris Bassett on the mound tonight. Coming off a series win against the Yankees. Handing the Yankees their first series win of the year. And the Rays, their first series, sorry, losses of the year. Both of them getting their first losses at the hands of the Toronto Blue Jays. I didn't realize the Yankees start was that impressive. That they hadn't lost Apparently, a series yet. So... Blue Jays are rolling. They got a, a couple big weeks ahead. Chris Bassett on the mound tonight. We'll see how he fares. He's been positively increasing every single start out. We had big news on Friday when we got off the air about Nick Nurse and the Toronto Raptors parting ways. Let's talk to our insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Will Lou, host of the Raptors show, Got some real good content from that Messiah Jury press conference. How are you unpacking this a couple days later, Will? What's going on? Um, am I unpacking this? I mean, I, I feel like it feels a little bit like it was inevitable, mm-hmm. right? So um, I think it was kind of unpacked when when Nick unpacked it himself. <laughs> he um, did. So he I did lay it was, out there. Just, <laughs> yeah. I was just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, it's been interesting going through uh, the weekend and sort of seeing – um, you know how this stuff goes, like when a decision is made, like what the reporters had in um, sort of in tow, and then obviously the move gets made and then more and more details start to come out. So mm-hmm. I just sort of been picking up the pieces over the weekend. So the conference in, in, in full view, the press conference with Messiah Jury, obviously the news comes out before, so everyone's prepped to talk about Nick Nurse, but the vibe check after that, was that the press conference that we kind of wanted and needed at the trade deadline, like a little bit of honesty about the vibe, the spirit of the team being lost, how he didn't enjoy watching this Raptors team, like kind of echoing what a lot of Raptors fans, I'm sure Raptors reporters were feeling, and to hear that from Messiah Jury maybe validated a little bit of how the season went for fans and co. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I I think you know, Masai's goal with those press conferences is more than anything else, just to sort of maintain confidence in um, the group and, and 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 the product. And that doesn't mean that he's he's only going to go up there and, and say good things. But I think in this case, like, you know, there are those moments of honesty where especially because these press conferences at the end of the season tend to be so long too. like there, there tends to be just more and more honesty that uh, eventually gets pulled out of them, you know, in like after 30 minutes, after 40 minutes, right? And I, and I do think that it was quite telling. Clearly, he mentioned uh, of his own accord um, that there was a lot of selfishness. It's similar to, you know, the trade deadline, I guess, in that sense, because he said the same thing. That was sort of the number one thing he wanted to address at the deadline. He also talked about, like, the loss of culture, which um, I, I think is just kind of sad to hear about. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think the Raptors have had a really good culture. And I, I think even when they were losing, I still felt like they they still had some of that culture. But... Um, I, I think what he's sort of really talking about is just like, you know, is there a togetherness with the group or, and, and, and how much is that um, influencing how much uh, the guys work, sort of how those guys work and how that translates to the, the, the encore product. You know, I, I think this past season, it wasn't like everything was bad. I mean, they, they 41 and 41 is, is below what the Raptors thought that they would be with this group. Um, but it, it's not like the end of the world at the same time with that record. However, I just think that there were too many key moments, like, you know, in fourth quarters, they'd fall apart or 
Um, you know, they're defensively, they never really got on the same page. I, th- I think, um, you know, guys buying into the role, what were those roles even in the first place? How much were those roles change? Like, it was just so much like stuff constantly in flux that I, I do get the sense that as soon as the season ended, it was kind of more like a relief than anything else. You know, it wasn't like, oh man, we missed this opportunity. And obviously we lost the play in, in a very embarrassing fashion. Um, it just felt very much like, uh, okay, all right, well, this is kind of inevitable, you know, just based on what the vibes were around the team all year. Yeah, the selfishness comment was obviously like one of the few mic drop moments, I'll say. Um, and it does point to obviously an issue that they were dealing with. But I do wonder like how much of that really was the issue. Like I, you mentioned like, yeah, it's it's about inspiring confidence. But I think what that presser was partly about was protecting Nick Nurse's legacy just a little bit. Like, mm. I, I don't think he, he definitely went in there trying not to bury the guy. And he mentioned like, yeah, the timeline of when it all fall apart, fell apart. It was like late November and you didn't make a, a change probably because Nick Nurse won a title here just a couple years ago. And it's like, we don't want to bury this guy, but we had to move on. How much do you think, you know, he was weighing... Nick Nurse's legacy, not saying bad about, not saying anything bad about someone on their way out who had such a big impact on the franchise, and how much of Nick Nurse's presence alone explains what happened to the Raptors this year? Because I don't, if it was all about player selfishness, why move on from Nick Nurse? Yeah, I mean, I think to the first part of that question, um, yeah, Masai wanted to keep it um, to keep it classy. Like again, like it's. You know, exactly as you said, right? There's a history here, and there's a good history here. And I, I don't think that anything that happened this season takes away from uh, what Nick has, has has brought to this franchise over the course of 10 years as an assistant or as a head coach. Um, you know, Masai himself said, I, I got to take some responsibility in this too. Um, but, I mean, to the second part, I, I just think that, like, this is – it's it's not so much of what Nick didn't do um, – so much as it's it's sort of part of the job, right? Masai also talked about how, look, he wanted to shock the system. He wanted to make a major change um, that would sort of um, get through to this group. And I feel like, obviously, changing the head coach is is, is fairly a major shock. Um, and, you know, I, I think reaching this group, that, that was a question that I, I really did have. Um, you know, the, the longer the season went, the more you heard about, you know, um, our players responding to Nick's message are our players still bought in after, you know, he's changed their roles or he's cut their minutes or he's changed their, you know, the expectations of what they're supposed to be doing out there. Like, I, I do think over the course of the season, like you saw more Matt, more of that slip away. Like we saw, you know, Michael Grange reported over um, the weekend that uh, there were several times where Messiah had to come in and, and, and sort of like address the group. Um, in, in very Maasai fashion, which is probably to yell at these guys. Um, or that the players held a players-only meeting, which we knew about in, in, in December. It's like, it's, it's all, that's all kind of stuff that, like, you know, the coach should be doing. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that all these other factors have to jump in there to sort of essentially replace what that, you know, the role of the coach is supposed to be in that scenario. I, I do get the sense that, like, that message was sort of ringing hollow um as the year went on and that's not to say that nick didn't really like you know yell at these guys or try to you know find ways to sort of innovate his his game like obviously he tried really hard as a coach but i just do think that like over the course of the season yeah i I think he probably you know lost a group a little bit what's next then because this is a big domino to fall but is it 
just enough to fire Nick Nurse and say, hey, we'll make some other decisions. And Masai did leave the door open, whether that was lip service or not saying that, uh, or not saying that big changes will be made on all fronts. He did say that. Um, do you believe that that's something that they will do this offseason? Um, it's, it's very hard to predict. And, and I think for me, um, you know, if the Raptors clearly want to build through the middle, um, which is my impression coming out of that press conference. Like Messiah talked about it. The draft is not the only way to build a team. Um, I think even beyond what he said, like at the trade deadline, that was the time to sort of pivot towards the draft. There were four games under 500 um, with a realistic shot of getting top six in terms of lottery odds if they had just made a couple of moves. But obviously they chose not to. They stuck with it. They added with Jakoperto in that time. So I think the Raptors are interested in sort of staying competitive now, I think the, the the strategy of staying competitive makes sense if you're able to sort of retain everybody on um, value plus deals where you're able to then, you know, move them down the line for, you know, the next Kawhi Leonard who becomes available, right? And, and then sort of hypothetically, that is sort of the example that probably most informs how the Raptors want to operate in this sense. And so it, it, if, if that is the strategy building through the middle, then... You need to make very smart trades uh, or you need to really be able to negotiate well with your free agents and, and bring them back at a good deal. So obviously the Raptors have three free agents. Um, you know, there's no replacement for Fred in terms of on the roster. Uh, just there's just not enough guard skills, period. They need to upgrade there. So um, you have to imagine they bring back Fred because I, I really don't know what they would do otherwise because um, I don't really see an internal uh, candidate for that. Uh, Yakupertal, they just have to bring back no matter what. If they had traded a first round pick for Yak and then let him walk in free agency, <laughs> it would look really, really silly. And and I think everybody should really have their knives out for the front office if that were the case. Gary, he, he really had an up and down year. I, I do wonder like if there's more to tap into there or not. Um, I do feel like a new coach in that sense would probably help um, on that front. And then. Yeah, um, they also have to make extension decisions on guys like OG and guys like Pascal and, and possibly Precious as well. So essentially, you gotta have to like really look at your whole roster this summer and and make a lot of key decisions. But I think ultimately, as long as you sign them to like good value deals with the opportunity to sort of give them more minutes or even give them uh, a clearly defined role that they can succeed in uh, with a new coach. Uh, I, I don't necessarily see that as a bad idea. However, I think it is hard to sell that to fans. Like, hey, we we just had a really, really, you know, middling season and clearly things were unhappy behind the scenes. Here's the same roster back with a new coach. Like, it doesn't really feel um, as exciting as, as you know, um, maybe the, the excitement was going into this previous season. But, you know, you have to be pragmatic. Like, you can't let assets walk out the door and, and get nothing in return. And I think if the Raptors do that, then then I really would question, like, okay, what are we building towards? Because, you know, we have just seen lots of guys come in and out with, uh, you know, little replacement. It definitely feels like the fingers are just crossed, right? Like that, you know, talking and explaining and detailing and eroding culture and just assuming that a coach a coaching change could have, like, a major impact on that. Like, I, I feel like it's short-sighted and I get... Like, he says he's got to win and that this organization has to win. And he also says, like, that they have to continue to validate the championship. I thought that was one of the most interesting parts where he admitted to winning so that you can validate the championship. What what did you think he meant by that? I mean, I, I just think that he was trying to really, like, describe how much he wants to win. And I think that, you know, that championship is 
is, is clearly um, something that should be really cherished. Um, and it, it's uh, absolutely the high point of the entire franchise. But you have to think about like what's happened since the championship. Like lots of guys have obviously moved on in free agency. Obviously, Kawhi leaving the summer that uh, exact summer is is was kind of devastating. But I, I think in that sense, like you didn't really get to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Like you, typically, you build up to a championship core, and then you have it, and then you kind of roll it over, and you and you just kind of like. I don't know. There's more of a natural peak, you know, going up and then going down. And and in this case, it was just like we went up and then it was just kind of sharp downs and then sharp downs, sharp downs, and maybe some slight ups last season. But um, yeah, I think with any general manager, like you, you, you'd want to prove that that wasn't a one-time thing. You want to prove that like this, this, like, for example, the quad trade was kind of out of nowhere, really, right? Like it was kind of like a once in a blue moon type of trade. So I think from his perspective, like you definitely want to prove that you, you can build something lasting here. And look, I, you know, I also think at the same time, like once you win a championship, like is, is that same hunger and desire still the same? Or are we kind of just satiated on it? And I think that I would want any leader in that position to be able to recognize like, yes, it was awesome that we won a title. Um, and and yes, you know, the pressure isn't on as much because we had it more recently, but if anything, it should make you even hungrier to win again. So I've always gotten that sense from Masai. Like he, he like this guy literally will say winning like 20 times in a press conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether it's the coach, uh, whether it's the selfishness of players, you know, like how to balance both those two things and how they contribute to, you know, the eroding culture. Ultimately, I think the thing that contributes most to a, a bad culture is just losing basketball games. And yeah. I feel like, you know, this team, whether you want to blame whoever you want to blame or whoever you think is most culpable here, uh, I feel like not putting a basketball team on the floor that actually did have upside in terms of winning rounds in the postseason is ultimately the biggest issue. And I feel like there's a bit of a tinge of, you know, management did wrong by Nick Nurse. You mentioned like enjoying the afterglow of the of winning. Yeah, yeah, they had to take a step back. But they also put like experimental lineups on the floor and, you know, just didn't have guard depth, didn't have a center for multiple seasons. I I feel like, you know, Nick might have got to the point where it's just like, well, you're not giving me the tools anymore. So where what are we really doing here? Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Like, I I think there's a bit of that from both sides, you know, like. um, I mean, it's. At the same time, I, I do feel like the the the, the all forwards, the division six nine strategy, whatever. Like I, I do think that Nick had a part to play in that as well. Like I don't think he was like, oh, I'm not on board with this. Like I think he was pretty excited to see how it would work. Um, and you know, obviously, we sort of saw this experiment and, and sort of the ups and downs of it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's 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 a fair case. Like I think you know, you come into the situation, you have all the talent you could ever want, right? You walk into a locker room. Maybe it wasn't the happiest one because everyone was pretty pissed off that DeMar got backstabbed like that. But ultimately, you got Kawhi Leonard. Like, hey, you know, you could be upset for a minute, but, like, we got we to look at the opportunity in front of us. And then when Nick walks in, it, he's got Kyle in that locker room. He's got, you know, uh, Kawhi. He's got Marcus Gasol. He's got Serge Ibaka. Uh, Pascal was, you know, most improved player that year. Fred Van Bleed, obviously, we saw what he took uh, did taking over. He had the whole bench mob, you know, it was just kind of like an embarrassment of riches. Danny Green, like he just had lots and lots of guys ready to win, and obviously they did it. Um, and then the following season, obviously Kawhi left, but he still had so many of those same guys, so many players who grew during the championship. So you know he was able to 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 really have like a very charmed existence as a coach. But like realistically, that's not what always happens, right? And I think that 
it obviously as more and more time goes on and players move on, like you have to shift your focus towards development. Um, I, I don't think that maybe the front office gave him the best prospects to develop, maybe outside of Scotty, like, you, you know, there aren't exactly can't miss prospects on the team, but um, you know, I think that was a more of a transition in terms of like, okay, obviously Nick knows how to wring the most out of this group and extend minutes for the starters. And, you know, year after year, his starters are like top three, top four in minutes played. Like it's, you know, it's all right. That's, it's a lot. Um, but obviously he knows how to wring results out of this group. Um, but yeah, I mean, eventually I think that that sort of really demanding uh, style grinds on people. And eventually like the farther and farther you go away from the championship, like, you know, there, there are younger guys who he has yet to sort of make that connection with, that same strong connection with. Um, and so I think that, yeah, eventually you do reach a point where it's like, okay, are you able to work with this or do we need to bring in a new voice? And, you know, I, I think a new voice is not a bad idea. Like, if you're thinking about ways to sort of um, reach this group and, and get more out of them, like, the easiest way to do that is to bring in a new voice. We'll see who that is. Um Because I think Nick also set a pretty high standard here in terms of, like, mm. what kind of tactics he played with. But... Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the most surprising. I do think the Raptors have not been preparing for this for a while, but um, you know, I, I I don't think it's it's catching anyone by surprise. You mentioned a new voice. I know it's early. It's a couple of days after the sure. firing. But any thoughts on any of the rumblings that are coming out about some some coaches that could be available? Will there be a, a good amount of coaches after this first round? Maybe that we can circulate about. Okay, this team didn't make it through. Maybe they are available. Like any initial thoughts on who could be replaced and they did say they want to have somebody in by the time of the draft yeah of course i mean i, I think it should be before the draft as well mm-hmm. like you know you do want um like the front office is fairly collaborative with the coaching staff there yep. um yeah i mean you know it's hard to say who exactly um obviously coaching is so much of like who you know and sort of um it, it's 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 less um it's it's not like pulling up basketball reference and really looking up their numbers. You know what I mean? Like you really have to get to know people and, and see how they work uh, with different groups and to get their references and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think from the Raptors perspective, like what they need is clearly somebody who can like instill not, not necessarily just discipline. Cause that sounds so much like, you know, these people need a dad in there who's going to like put his foot down. Like, no, mm-hmm. it's not like that. Like, but it's, it's sort of like, can you come into the group, communicate, to them what their um, expectations are um, and then uh, hold them accountable to those. And of course, as a coach, you got to hold yourself accountable to those standards as well. Um, I I think about like, for example, like Mike Brown, um, when he took over with the Kings this year, he really like, he made everybody sign like a contract that says like, this is my role and I'm going to honor it, you know? And, and obviously that's sort of more, you know, silly. Obviously if you break that contract, it's not like anything's going to happen, but like, that's the kind of idea that would probably make things a lot smoother, right? For a lot of these guys, they really didn't understand what their roles were this past season and it would change all the time. And that's, you know, up and down the roster. Um, I think more clarity on that sense would really, really help somebody who can really speak to the players and, and sort of command their respect. And, you know, I, I think, I think the Raptors will have to be quite thorough in their search. Right. And I think that Masai and Bobby and, and the rest of the front office, that they, they like this sort of approach that they want to take more out of it. Uh, we saw that even when they were trying to hire for Dwayne Casey's replacement, it took a bit of a time. So I, I do expect them to be thorough, but yeah, absolutely. Before the time of the draft, I mean, the draft is like six weeks away, I think. So I, I anticipate sooner than that, but um, you know, it's a very important decision. And listen, if you're Masai, like, 
you you <laughs> you've also now fired two coach of the years in Toronto and, and technically did it a third time in, in George Carl in, in, in Denver. So um, it, I'm not saying that coaches wouldn't want to line up, but I, if I if I were a candidate for this job, I would be a little bit leery. Like, oh man, expectations are going to be very high. But um, obviously, you want someone who who wouldn't be shy from uh, facing those. Well, if your confidence in Masai Ujiri in the front office was a 10 post championship, where would you put it now? I mean, I st- I'm still reasonably high on them, um, but I would probably say like it's 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 probably down to eight. I, I just don't think that um, the existing talent base is, is so great that we need to continue building on this and investing on this. Um, I understand building through the middle, and I understand the sort of decisions they had, but. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, I'm watching the playoffs, for example, right? And I'm watching, like, Kings Warriors yesterday. And I'm just like, man, the shot making in this series is ridiculous. Look at all these guards. They're just running up and down. There's, there's like, just pulling up for three. And I'm not even just talking about Steph Curry, right? I'm talking about, like, Darren Fox. I'm talking about, like, Malik Monk. I'm talking about, like, even Jordan Poole. And I was like, man, we just we, we just don't have any of that, right? So, um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see how the, the front office improves the talent based on this roster first and foremost because that's that's really their biggest job is like bring talented players here and you know on that front I'm, i feel like i'm talking myself into a seven at this point <laughs> okay so since there's no raptors basketball to watch you've been watching a lot of leafs we saw you guys tweeting you and alex on the timeline uh that the leafs take going into tonight like they got what it takes they, they got a big win on the weekend big ot thriller like they ride mm. the momentum how you feeling leafs vibe jack yeah, um, you know my, you know obviously my dad's a big fan of the Leafs, big mm-hmm. fan of this program as well. Shout out to Ronald. He's he's already at work, so he's oh, he's probably Ronald. no longer listening. Well, that's nice um, of him for listening. Yeah, of, you know, I'm not even kidding. He wakes up every morning at like six thirty, I think, and, and wow. like you guys come out of this the the, uh, the FM radio. What a gem. Um, and and yeah, he was just like, I have no idea how we won that game. Um, <laughs> it, feel, it feels like Tampa had the puck the entire time, and we were just playing dump and chase. But hey, listen, um. You know, I think it, it, it probably it's got to feel amazing to sort of mm. steal a game like that more than anything else, right? Like I, I did feel like Tampa really did have strong control, and yeah, I mean, you got to have a lot of confidence. The last two results have been amazing, and you know, like I, I just feel like for me, I'm not so steeped in like um, Leafs like dread because I, I don't really buy into the team every year. Uh, every year, and I'm a casual observer at best, but. I got to think psychologically, like having seen the last two games, like you got to feel a lot of confidence, right? So obviously Tampa will come out. They're, they're, they're a champion. Um, uh, I've seen bad things happen to Toronto at Amelie Arena mm-hmm. based on a bubble. Or not. <laughs> oh, tough. <laughs> when yeah. the Raptors got <laughs> relocated there. Tampa, man, uh, Tampa. Uh, but yeah, listen, if we win, if we win this game, like I, I think it'll be Bedlam in the city. Like I've seen all these videos of Knicks fans, like just taking oh, over yes. the streets of New York because they are up 3-1 in their series. Like I need to see that energy from the Leafs. Okay. You better be leading the the charge tonight if they win. All right. We'll be looking for your, your videos. Maybe you'll be on Leafs talk post show <laughs> with JD Punkus and Sam McKee and we'll do. Uh, well, thanks for joining us and helping us break down the Nick nurse firing and hopefully we'll have some more stuff in the future to get you on the show. And if not, we'll just have Leafs thoughts. Uh, every other okay. week with Will Lou. <laughs> thanks, buddy. I'm, I'm, I'm down. All, All right. right. Thanks so much. We'll chat soon. That's Will Lou, host of the Raptor Show, and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It was an interesting press conference from Masai Ujiri for a multitude of reasons. But I think, like, one thing that I'm, like, kind of, like, settling on is that they're selling a scapegoat, but they're doing everything they can to protect that scapegoat. Right, but you don't think that 
like he brought a, you're talking about Nick Nurse. Yes. I think we're all going to be conflicted a little bit with how to feel about this because he, as we mentioned, he brought a championship to the city that hasn't happened in a very, very long time. And that's why they're protecting and him. And he was the right person for the job at that time. What What I'm trying to say is like, Raptors fans should hope and pray that Nick Nurse was the root cause of all this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as much as you don't want to maybe face that reality because he's a hero in this city, if he was the problem, then you have a chance of turning this around. But if he wasn't really the issue, if it was rotten because of players, player dynamic, uh, talent level, all those sort of things that are just roster-based, then you are going to a new season with maybe the same core. There might be a huge amount of change. I think Will's a little skeptical. I'm certainly skeptical that there's going to be a lot of change. This team could just be like a little bit worse. And then where are you then? Because you might be there with a new coach who has no chance of turning anything around. You might get better results. Might be a 500 team or a couple games above 500 this time around. Mm -hmm. But can you improve materially with this roster? And you better hope Nick Nurse was the reason why this team could not get out of its own way this season. I'm a little, like, I do think there's a lot to that. I think Nick was a problem. I think it had to happen. But I'm not convinced that there's not, like, permanently damaging oh, effects. Oh, and neither am I. Or that this team is just not good enough flat out. Although I'm certainly a bit more confident that this is just step one of a postseason plan, there's no doubt in my mind that he's not, he might be a, a key contributor to why this season didn't go the way it has been in the last three seasons in general. But I think there's a lot more. There's the roster construction. There's the way that these players don't fit at times, right? Like, And there's a lot of decisions to be made this postseason. So I'm hoping that Messiah Jury was honest about this being step one and that major changes will be made on all fronts and that they need to reset the culture. You can't just reset the culture by one move. Like That isn't enough. Unfortunately, it's the easiest in a sense. The, the move that we all thought was coming was Nick Nurse's time here was over. But... It's for me, it has to be step one of two, three different decisions that are made this postseason. But if he makes a lot of change, can you really, can you expect to get better? Like, what can the Raptors well, sell the to improve their team this it year? Might not I can be, see them getting worse. Yeah, but that might be the right direction. And it that's might what be I want to them to do. Back I want them two, to tear it down step. to the studs. Okay, well, then that would be big decisions but this he offseason. Said win. He said win. Well, he has to times. say win. That's his. That's his. No, he doesn't have cliche. To we want to win. We want to win. We want to win. We want to win again, but we might have to take a step back in order to do so. That's what I would have loved to have heard. Okay. Well, but it seems like he just I wants think to that's run pretty it back. bold to say on the very first post podium to say we're going to take some setbacks and admit that right away to your franchise going into uh, it. Uh, uh, I think he Grange pressed him on it. Grange yeah. said like what every team has a direction, but you guys. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, I don't know if that's the win comment. I don't, it's probably what he said though. Mm-hmm. Cause he didn't outline a direction when he answered that question. I don't know if they know. I think they're just hoping something great, like uh, not, not a, another Kawhi situation, but something they can capitalize on. And then they're just like, Oh, we fixed it. But that, I just think it's like, again, crossing your fingers and your toes and just hoping you're going to get yourself out of this. I hope there's lots more to come. I really do hope that this is a very pivotal moment for this franchise. You move on from your championship winning coach, maybe all bets are off. You can do whatever you want this postseason to take steps back, to take steps forward. It is a tough thing to admit that maybe that's the way they need to go. Maybe that's why Masai wasn't gung-ho on saying, all right, it's time to tear it down. Maybe that's to come. All right, we got lots to go. Still on the Fan Morning Show, Anthony Stewart's going to join us on the other side of the break. We'll do a baby wake and rake to set up tonight's game four, Maple Leafs in Tampa. you got Jays and the White Sox in town for three-game series, NHL and NBA, all to run through. Stewie, let's get the vibe check with Stewie. Statement win, are the Leafs 
in control of doing something they haven't done in a long time is win three in a row. That's next. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Final block, fan morning show. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Let's preview game four with one of our most loyal listeners. Mm. Anthony Stewart, former NHL forward and current Sportsnet analyst. Good morning, Stewie. I'm doing well. How's everybody doing? Hopefully the Maple Leafs uh, do not rely on luck tonight like uh, Pharrell and Daft Punk in the song. There you go. I didn't put that together, but that is definitely appropriate. It was a miserable showing in game one. It was an outstanding showing in game two. It was a bit of a fortunate uh, result in game three. So what does game four have in store for us? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, the one thing I I can't expect, and you know, with playoffs, you know, you're going to have to have a little bit of luck and, you know, I think, uh, you know, with this group, you expect a little bit more consistency. But, again, I think the key to this group now is, you know, some of their stars stepping up at, you know, proper times. You're seeing Morgan Riley's overtime goal uh, the other night. You're seeing uh, Ryan O'Reilly with the Gory Howe hat trick uh, in game three as well, too. So, um, you know, Austin Matthews getting on the board. So, you know, what I like about the group is it's different people stepping up at different times. It's not just keying in on one guy or one guy stepping in. They're getting a mixture of everything, and that's the key to success in the playoffs. I mean, we've certainly brought up the fact that the depth was tested in previous years and, and didn't deliver this year. It seems to be one of the only things that's been consistent. So that's a, a positive, but also, as you mentioned, it, we'd like to see some of the other guys uh, step up. But on the other side of the ice, I wonder your thoughts on the Tampa Bay Lightning have put together last uh, on Saturday night a performance that I think kind of surprised a lot of people we had said oh they you know they're old they're slow like maybe we doubted them a little bit but can they find that level again like was it kind of a defeat that might just be oh wow we gave our biggest punch our best punch and somehow we got unlucky enough that we didn't find a way to be successful against Maple Leafs and the Leafs are the ones riding the high after that because it was a pretty incredible showing by Tampa. You know, this is a group that's sort of been in the mix now for the last, you know, four or five seasons, right? And I think they learned their lesson the hard way when they got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets years ago, which I predicted, uh, one of my very few predictions that came uh, to fruition. I like but, that you bring those up, though. When they're right, they're right. The, you never get yeah, the wrong, Stu. Jack Campbell last night. Jack Campbell last night. But we'll get to that later. But, uh, you know, I think the key is just hearing, um, you know, John Cooper's, you know, comments after the game. And he doesn't seem like he's very, very, um, you know, concerned, mm-hmm. right? He always talks about this group and the resiliency and I love this group and don't count this group out so um, you know when you have veteran guys that have been through this right and you know them winning those two Stanley Cups and going to the finals in three you know three in a row you know they were in some pretty you know bad situation where it looks like it was going to be a bleak situation and they figured out a way to come back and win the series so you know you can't doubt that the heart of a champion are they going to roll over and die I don't think in any sense of the word but you know, I think for the Maple Leafs, tonight is a must-win. I know the pressure's on Tampa Bay, obviously down 2-1, but what you don't want, you don't want to give them hope. And, you know, when you push so hard and, you know, you have 15 shots in the second period and you seem like you're going to knock this team out and they find a way to get a win, it can be kind of defeating. So I think right now that the key to Toronto tonight is having a good start and trying to take the crowd out of it and take the will away because this group, when they're on, 
it's a very, very tough group to beat. Lightning have not lost three straight in a postseason series since the time Stewie picked the Blue Jackets over the Lightning those years ago. Um, okay, so we got a little, you mentioned Cooper, we got a little war of words in the media between Sheldon Keefe and John Cooper, I guess to a certain extent, it's not like they're attacking each other, but they're going back and forth through the media on one key issue, which was, you know, the play after whistles. Uh, shed some light on this for us. Like, is there... Is there a moment where, okay, things change a little bit between whistles and you can kind of take liberties when, you know, obviously you can't do it in play and expect to get away with it, but is Steven Stamkos taken that moment to take liberties on Austin Matthews, understanding that really the punishment will not, you know, fit the crime? Yeah, but that's the game within the game. And any player that's played in the National Hockey League for multiple years knows that, uh, you know, you can get away with some stuff at certain times. And, you know, everyone says you need to call the game by the book. Well, I don't want to sit there and watch, you know, you know, 20 power plays on each side the whole entire game. So, you know, uh, kudos to Sheldon Keefe for actually stepping up and getting a Tampa Bay Lightning credit, you know, for their veteran presence and their veteran little game within the game and, and knowing that they probably weren't going to get uh, an extra penalty and take three of, uh, Toronto's top five penalty killers off, you know, for the power play. And they think they're off for, I think, what, nine minutes, I think it was. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a very, very smart move. But, um, you know, it's, you know, for the Leafs, that's not their game. Yeah, they got away with it in game one and then playing physical, knocking a couple guys out. But you see this team when they're skating, working hard, competing, uh, playing as a group, all four lines going, that's their game. So, again, let the Maroons do what they need to do. Corey Perry, you know, let the shenanigans after the whistle happen. You know, you play between the whistles. And that was something that I learned at the World Juniors because, you know, a lot of teams could not beat us, you know, talent-wise or beat us up. But they would just try to mess with us and try to get us, you know, off our game and, and getting in the penalty box and getting mixed up with that too. So the the war of attrition, I don't think, is a, a game the Maple Leafs can make uh, can win. They just got to stick to playing hockey. So it's not where the Maple Leafs are at their best. Clearly, after whistles, what we call the muck. But are they dealing with the muck better? Like this is something that's got them. It tripped them up many times before. But it seems like they, you know, the, the shifts right after all that happened, not like a masterpiece by any means, but they kind of rebounded, they kind of settled. It seems like they deal with it just a little bit better, and that could be a key difference in the series. So I think you're calling that the, the yellow hoodie effect, right? Is, is that what yes. we're calling that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. So maybe that's the hero, the hero the Maple Leafs have been waiting for, yellow hoodie guy. <laughs> I'm going to wait to see that for Halloween. That's that's my new Halloween costume. But I, I think that's great. And, and kudos to guys like Shen, you know, really answering the bell and fighting Tanner Janot where, like, you know, th- those are one of the few guys that can still hurt you in Janot in a fight. So him stepping up and neutralizing him and, you know, you're seeing uh, – you know, the Wiley veteran, Giordano, dropped the gloves, you know, a couple games ago as well, too. That's, that just shows that this game, this team's not going to be pushed over. So, yes, they're not looking for a fight, but they're answering the bell when it's, uh, when it's, uh, when it's asked to. So that's a big part of it. But I think the, the, the meaning behind that is they're coming together as a team. And that's where in years past, you know, some of these teams would come in and just run them over and there'd be nobody answering the bell. So I like that they're coming together, stepping up to a man. And that's the key for recipe success in a group that I can see, you know, is ready to, to, to win around and go on in the, in the Stanley Cup finals. How about the passion being shown by general manager Kyle Dubas in the stands and beside him, Jason Spetz, those guys about jumping out of the press box uh, when they got the win and going back and forth, the Lightning fans, you like to see the passion from the top down too, right? I guess, but I'm, I'm sure if he could go back, he probably would not react that way because again, it's probably pretty embarrassing for him. But again, uh, I, think, eh? I just want to know what the fans said, right? There's probably something because he's probably the coolest fan in, in any room that he's in. So, uh, you know, for the fan to sort of get him off his game. But again, that just shows the passion. There's a lot uh, riding on this 
season and this series and everything. So I think it's all those emotions mixed into one, and they're in the game here. So, again, I think if you take it back, he probably would have react differently. But, again, I'd rather that than just, you know, they pan to the GM and he's just staring, doing nothing there. Mm. So I, I like the passion. I like the passion. Get him a yellow hoodie, too. Let's <laughs> yeah, forget yellow hoodie guy. Just throw Dubas beside the box. Uh, okay, so we got three games of data from these two goaltenders. Uh, it remains at a, a remarkable contrast between these two. I mean, Samsonov was frighteningly bad in the first period and then all of a sudden he's a rock while Andre Vasilevsky's given up more goals in these playoffs than any other goaltender and he's only played three games as opposed to uh, half of the goaltenders who have played four where where do you like what do you make of the trajectory these goaltenders are on like it seems up and down for Samsonov and it seems like it's kind of fading for Andre Vasilevsky I know you know don't want to write off Vasi just yet but when you look at these two goaltenders it was proposed as this big mismatch do you still see it as the lightning have a massive massive advantage when it comes to the goaltending well i think the thing that um you know vasileski and i'll preface this by saying you know, he's a perennial you know vesna trophy candidate is he, he's starting to look human right mm-hmm. and you know say what you want you can drink as many protein shakes as you want to work out as long as you can it's tough to be going on these long runs and, and, and playing in these Stanley Cup finals and winning cups, just not just physically, mentally. So, you know, if I'm Toronto, you know, our, one of the game plans is we got to try to get 30-plus shots because, you know, four or five can go in. You know, a lot of these goals that are going in, he saves those. You know, he's usually, you know, nothing literally gets through him. He usually is pretty solid down low and nothing really trickles through him. And, you know, even the Riley goal, like, yeah, he was screened a bit, but that's a save he usually makes. So I could, you know, chalk it up to fatigue. But if I'm Toronto, I'm taking advantage of this opportunity right now because he's almost like a wounded animal right now, knowing that he's not playing his best. And uh, for contrast, is Samsonov, where it's, it's not about the goals that are going in. I think it's the timing of the saves that he's making that's really stepping up in this series. And it's, what was it, uh, 3-2 last game and in the second period. He's been 4-2, 5-2. But he found a way to make the saves at the key time and keep the team in the game. So I think that's what's separating him, uh, you know, uh, from uh, Vasilevsky this year, just the timing of the saves. So, yeah, you know, he probably wants back a couple of those goals. But when the game is really on the line, the second, third period, he was stepping up and making those big saves. So I think that's a key for the Leafs. And uh, if I'm the team, I'm like, okay, you know what, Sammy, when it's, when it's uh, time to really, you know, bear down here, he's going to step up for us. And that's going to give them confidence and try to win some of these games. How about the uh, justification of adding Ryan O'Reilly and his early return so far? I mean, we talk about how big it is to add a Conn Smythe winner, a proven Stanley Cup champ, but he has certainly delivered what the Maple Leafs saw in him at the trade deadline, and I'm sure that's part of why Kyle Dubas was celebrating so much, seeing his acquisition really deliver in big moments, but just the, the level of, like, mental toughness he has, the consistency he's shown over the last three games. Um, I just think everyone's in love with Ron O'Reilly, and it makes so much sense when you see him perform in big moments. Well, he's a, he's a pro's pro, and that's one of the guys I wish I played with because, mm. you know, now that I'm a hockey school instructor, I have all the drills in the world, but, um, you know, as a player, I'm like, what do I do after practice for the coaches are off the ice? And the answer is nothing. I'd hit the showers. So, you know, he's one of those guys that's continually working on the game. We've seen him now take Matthew Nyes aside and just work on the finer details. And that prime example is that goal that he scored in the last minute, uh, last game, where it was a, a puck that sort of came to his skates and he kicked it back up and, and, and God have found a way to get it in. He works on the game every single day. And when you're a guy now in the National Hockey League and you see a guy you know, that you know, probably has a lot of money in the bank and you know, he's a seasoned veteran working on getting better every day, it motivates you to get better. So that just having him in the dressing room and having him 
uh, you know, that work ethic, that now motivates the team and, and gets the team together. So I think that's the key pickup, and I think you're going to see at the end of the playoffs, you know, next to some of these other guys, he's going to be one of the key additions. So, you know, I've been reading the tweets. Yeah, do you re-sign him? He's, you know, he's the, he puts the P in passion, absolutely, because <laughs> what he brings, you know, not just on the ice, but that veteran presence, that Stanley Cup pedigree, you know, he, he looks like he's been a Leaf his whole career based on, you know, how he's performing so far. Yeah, and maybe, you know, if we're forced to choose, Michael Bunting has uh, proven to be far less valuable than Ryan O'Reilly if we're talking about who you might want to pay big bucks to retain uh, this summer. Uh, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, Mitch Marner's one point off the postseason lead in scoring. Uh, Austin Matthews is a little farther behind, but he's got a goal and five points through three games. But it seems like we haven't seen an A game from the top guys yet. And Ryan O'Reilly's made things a little easier on the top guys because, <laughs> hey, we've always talked about you're only going to go as far as those four guys take you. Well, the four guys have been up and down. Uh, the four guys have definitely been up and down. Waiting on a Matthews Marner A game and, uh, you know, not p- to predict if we get it, but do you expect Matthews and Marner to still assert themselves in a more profound way than they have so far in this series? Well, I'll, I'll chalk it up to the National Hockey League is hard. <laughs> it's very, very hard and in case everybody didn't uh, know that. But uh, teams do hours and hours of video and you have a Tampa Bay team that, you know, they spend a lot of time keying in and zoning in on Marner and Matthews. And they're saying those are the two guys that we have to try to neutralize. And you're looking at Connor McDavid right now at five on five against the LA Kings. So when you have those other guys, you know, keying in on your top guys, that sort of gives an opportunity for other guys to step up. So yes, you know, for this team to go on a run, Matthews is going to have to have multiple big games. Same thing with Marner. But, you know, I'm looking at Matthews doing the, the little things right. You know, he's finishing his checks. He blocked a big shot last game too, I think, when it was 3-2 and, you know, playing that. So he's in here to score goals. Yes, we know that. But, you know, he's engaged. He's engaged. I saw him dropping the gloves willingly or unwillingly against uh, Stamco. So he's stepping up and playing it in different ways. But I think when it comes down to it, yes, you're going to have to have them having four or five goals in a series. But the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's a, it's a very seasoned group, and they're doing a good job neutralizing these guys five on five. But, uh, again, um, as long as the team's winning, I think that's what matters the most. And But they're going to be primed for a big, big game, I think, a lot sooner than later, especially in this series. All right, Stewie, last one for you. Uh, yes or no? Bunting back in for game five. Yes. And like, uh, who comes what's out going on here? I think you guys like excommunicated Scarborough. Like I don't see Scarborough. There's like a, there's like a border now. Oh, yes, yeah, the Scarborough oh, guy. Shoot, we forgot where you live, man. <laughs> what is going on here? Like, did you not forget about the 45 goals he scored? Okay, so, so where do you make spot for him though? Is the second question. <laughs> Well, again, Nines is playing some great hockey. Mm-hmm. So, again, I think it's going to chalk up to, you know, who has a, a good game tonight. But can I see him getting in the next game depending on the on the result? But if there's a loss, remember, he's a valuable member of this team. And I don't think they'd be as high as they would be in the standings without the no, year that sure. he's had because it's not just about the goals and mm-hmm. assists, but Marner and Matthews had some great years this year uh, with him playing on the flank. So, yes, does he have to clean it up a bit? Yes. But, you know, you can't – got to take the good and the bad with the passion that we all keep talking about here too. So he gets back in and he's going to be a big – contributing member to this team all right stewie uh love the passion this morning appreciate you coming on and we'll chat hopefully at round two okay all right get your uh yellow hoodies at uh at sports check or uh <laughs> sports there i'll be wearing mine tonight all right. thanks stewie uh it's anthony stewart former nhl forward current sportsnet analyst and tonight big one maple leafs tampa bay lightning game four it is a toss-up in the betting markets. It's mm. about well, a minus 110 for either team. Uh, Over-under set at six and a half. I will say, if you're a Leaf fan who's a little nervous, the happiness hedge is right there for you. 
the Lightning series lines, the Lightning Stanley Cup stuff. The li- If you just want to just take that opportunity, it is there for you. Boo. I'm just saying. You got to you gotta make sure, you know, you can live with yourself after this series. Okay, well, I'm going to steer clear of the Leafs game. I'm going to go straight up Blue Jays' money line tonight against the White Sox. It's, yeah, you pay a little juice, but I need a win because I was terrible last week. So, Blue Jays on the money line against the White Sox, 707 first pitch. Chris Bassett, White Sox have had a pretty brutal start to their season. Jays are riding a high after a great weekend in New York. So, I'm going just straight up money line leading into Looney Dogs tomorrow. Okay, uh, I'm gravitating towards the association. Uh, yes. The Bucks were kind to me last week uh they were desperate they won uh in a pretty sizable blowout in game two but then they lost again in game three so i do respect i do expect them to respond again but i'm gonna actually go to the grizzlies and lakers and the under for dylan brooks this guy this guy is feeling the heat more than i think anyone he's shying away for the moment because lebron is still the alpha dog Mm -hmm. certainly in that series i don't think the memphis grizzlies can afford to waste possessions having dylan brooks take shots so i'm gonna take his under 13 and a half points minus 150. That's a Hall of Fame he pick. And I think clown. it's a narrative pick as well. Right Did you see now. what he said post game? The media is making me. No, he said the media is making me a villain. The fans are making me a villain. That just creates another persona on me. It's like you are the villain. You're doing it yourself. Anyway, fade Dylan Brooks always and forever. Okay, let's do a couple anchor submissions here. We've got um, Ron and Jules texted in Leafs to win in regulation and Bo Bichette over hits. And she's very happy about the Warriors. Yes, yes. I don't want to hear it. Corey in Port Hope <laughs> likes the Rays and Astros under eight and a half. He knows unders are boring, but it's all about that money. Uh, both have great pull pens, uh, and it should be fairly low scoring. All right, we've got Courier uh, Chris in Niagara Falls this morning. Jay's run line and Matt Chapman over hits today. And, and finally, finally, good morning. It's Dave Andertruck's playoff beard. I loved our time in Tampa because I got to stick along, stick around longer than we ever did in Toronto. Nothing's better than the Tampa Bay sun kissing our whiskers. What? Tampa Bay on the money line. No, just for men. For me, uh, I guess he goes by the Dave Andertruck playoff beard. Uh, Identity? Alias? Well, no, there was Wendell Clark's mustache last week. Oh, right, Never know right, what right, to expect right, 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 here. Right. Okay, so we got Leafs to win in regulation, Bo Bichette over hits, Rays and Astros under, Jays run line, Matt Chapman over hits, and Tampa on the minor line. I'm already doing Blue Jays. You're doing um, Dylan Brooks under. Should we go to Leafs, or should we skip over to Jays and Astros, or Rays and Astros? I don't, we said we're not going to do the Jays props. Leafs in regulation is aggressive. I think we go raise Astros under. Okay. I'm like I don't I don't even know the pitching matchup, but like we're under the clock or we're under the gun here a little Rays bit. Raise and Astros under eight and a half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So our parlay today: Blue Jays on the money line, Dylan Brooks under, and it's at thirteen and a half points, and then under eight and a half on the Astros and Rays. We like that's a blind pick, and we're doing it. Uh, plus four sixty six today. Best of luck. Uh, huge game. Huge, huge game today. Uh, Maple Leafs and Tampa Bay Lightning. Killer instinct. You got to see it Ooh. from the Maple Leafs tonight. 7.30 puck drop tonight. 7.07 first pitch for Blue Jays and White Sox. Let's get a double Toronto win leading into big day tomorrow. Looney Dogs Tuesday. Talk to you then.